Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's Word, our prayer for you is the same prayer that Jesus prayed for His church in John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. I'm, I'm so glad to be with you today and uh, to see... Uh, these familiar faces once again. Uh, as I've said before, this this church feels like my grandchild, and uh, and so I always feel like I'm I'm coming to to visit loved ones when I come here, and uh, I uh, I do get to see some of my grandkids when I come. Uh, Cassidy is the only one left in the nest now, and I think she's kind of enjoying that getting out of that middle child syndrome. And, uh, and Helen, of course, is my uh, adopted granddaughter. And uh, I'm so pleased to see them, get to see them today. And I know that Michael is in his element right now in Jerusalem. I know he's enjoying that. And I also know that he'll be a better pastor when he returns to you. Just from having been there and seen the places where Jesus walked and where he taught. And, uh, and Michael is a a great scholar already in my book, and I think he'll become an even greater uh, pastor and preacher and scholar when he returns from this trip. So it's good that you have uh, made it possible for him to be gone and to do this. I, uh, I, I have, I, I understand that the revelation, I, I understand you're going on the fifth Sunday of each month, your Michael is preaching from the revelation, and and uh, recently he's been uh, preaching on the seven, the letters to the seven churches. And uh, it's my privilege this morning to share with you the letter to the church in Thyatira. Uh, that, that church uh, is uh, actually the letter is one of the longest uh, of the seven letters to the seven churches. And, and yet it, the little place where it was, where it was located was one of the most insignificant uh, places of all of the seven letters. And, and to me, that, that tells me that no one's insignificant in the eyes of God. Neither are you. And, uh, and God cares about you. And this, this uh, message this morning is for you and for me and for all, uh, uh, all, all believers and, uh, and those who possibly are not believers in Christ yet. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, I hope that today you'll uh, understand a little more about what it what it means and uh, and try to come to that place where you can give your heart and life to Christ. Uh, because as we'll see in this scripture, everything depends on it. Uh, I uh, I realize that the revelation, and by the way, it is the revelation. It's not revelations. And uh, so, th please don't refer to it that way. You, you kind of show that you don't know what the scripture is about if you, <laughs> if you call it the revelations. It is the revelation, and that means that if you go back to the very first verses, it it tells us that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, and that word, the apocalypsis, is what it says. Hey, apocalypsis de Christo the revelation of Christ, and that 
And, uh, and what that means is an unveiling. That word actually means to unveil, to, to, uh, uh, to make something known. Um, it's like God wrote a masterpiece of, uh, of literature. And just like an artist who has painted a masterpiece on canvas and before he lets everyone see it, he has a, a cover over it. And, uh, and when he's ready for it to be known, then he unveils that masterpiece and allows folks to see it. And that's what God has done here in the last book of his holy word. He has, he has unveiled what is going to take place in the end times. What's going to happen to this world? And, and therefore, when we look at it and we read it, some of the things that we read there are disturbing. Many of the things that we see there are, are unnerving because it, is, it, it shows judgment and it shows, uh, it shows destruction of the world that we know. And it, and it tells us that there's going to come a time whenever we are going to stand accountable to God. And... Uh, so it, it is a little disturbing that way, but if you're a born-again believer, it shouldn't be disturbing to you in the fact that you know the Lord Jesus Christ and He's taking care of you, and before all of that destruction takes place, you're going to be taken out of this world. And, uh, and he'll, he'll come again and receive the church as you read in Thessalonians where the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then... We who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air, and so shall we be changed and be with him forever. And that's the way it's going to take place. There will be Jesus Christ coming for his church, where he takes those who believe out of the world. And then there is going to be a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. And uh, that word great has a, has a strong meaning to it because there has always been tribulation. And there have been some pretty terrible tribulations in this world. And yet the one that is going to come is going to be worse and greater than all. And that is that seven-year period of time between the time Jesus comes for his church and that period of time when he comes back with the saints and the end of the world. And uh, that will usher in the thousand-year reign of Christ. All of those things are revealed in God's word. And, uh, and this morning, as we look at uh, the Revelation and that, uh, that first part of the Revelation, we see uh, Jesus Christ, first of all, uh, revealing himself to John, that beloved disciple who, was, uh, who had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And if you ever done, have done any kind of research about Patmos, it's just a, a rock out in the sea. And John was exiled there because of his belief and his preaching the Word of God. As he, he says right in the very beginning of the Revelation, that's why I was. Uh, I was put there. And it was on the Lord's day, and he was in the Spirit, and he heard the sound of a voice as it was like thunder. And when he turned around to see that voice, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified manner in his glorified state and when he saw the Lord in that manner he fell on his face as one who was dead now 
I want to remind you that the last time that John saw the Lord Jesus was on that day when he was standing there and saw him being taken up in the air and the angel said to them, why are you gazing at, at, at up in the air? Don't you know that just like he's going away, he's going to return in like manner? And one of these days he will return. And that's the promise that we have here in this scripture and, and particularly in the 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 verses that we're looking at today. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 and I'm not going to take the time to read that just just because I, I want to uh, concentrate on, on the letter itself and on what it means but if you have your Bible please turn there and follow with me as I go through uh, this, this uh, message today because I'm going to try to touch on the highlights of that scripture passage and, uh, and the, the the first thing that I recall uh, about it is there this circle of churches that we've been looking at in Asia, and uh, and and the Lord Jesus, after John sees him and he falls on his face before him, and and the Lord tells him, "Don't be afraid." He touches him with his hand and he says, "Don't be afraid," and he lifts him up, and uh, and the beloved disciple then is is once again standing in the presence of his Lord and Savior that he hasn't seen uh, since he went into heaven. And then the Lord uh, begins to tell him, "I am, uh, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the. I, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And and uh, if you uh, uh, could just briefly look at uh, at that uh, chapter, first chapter of Revelation, if you can just turn back there for a minute, he says." Uh, I am I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of hell and of death and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be, and that word is translated hereafter, it's better translated the things that will be after these things. Meta, tata is Greek. After these things. Write what you've seen, write the things that are, and write the things that will be after these things that are. So you have a perfect three-point outline of the entire book of Revelation right there. And the first part of it is write the things you've seen. And what do you see? He saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he describes him in all of his glory and he goes into great detail about his hair and about his, his body and about his, his, uh, his uh, clothing and about his feet being brass. And, and so uh, there's, a, there's a little word there that's left out in, uh, in the King James translation. And that's because it was translated from some manuscripts that were found early on. And, and over a period of time, those manuscripts being the, the later manuscripts, they had been transcribed over a period of time and, and there was a little word that was left out right there in, in the manuscript that, as I said, we found earlier manuscripts that, that coincide the fact that there's a little word right there that's left out. Just a little small word, but it has a great meaning. And that word is therefore. And, uh, and it's right there at that, in that verse that I just read. He said, uh, he said, I am he that lives, was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Have the keys of hell 
and death. Right, and right there is where that word therefore goes in there. Right, therefore, the things which you've seen. In other words, because I am who I am, and this is important because it's going to come out in this, in this letter to Thyatira. He said, because I am who I am, because uh, I am alive, because I was dead and behold, I'm alive evermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death, therefore, write these things. Write the things you've seen, write the things which are, and write the things which are after these things. So as I said, the things that he had seen was that glorified vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. The things which are is the, the church, the age of the church. In the very next chapter, after this chapter, he begins in chapter 2, with these seven letters to the seven churches. And I must say, and I know Michael has already, uh, has already uh, emphasized the fact that the number seven in prophecy always has the meaning of completion. It has the meaning of everything. It's the whole enchilada in our day and time. It's everything. So if you're talking about the seven churches of Asia, you're not talking about just seven churches. You're talking about all of the churches. Not just the churches in Asia, but all of the churches. We're living in the church age. In that day when, when the gospel has been given to us to, to preach it, to believe it, just as the Lord said in, in Matthew when he said, uh, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, that same word, because all power, go ye into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age, the age of the church. I'm with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you belong to me, and I'm with you. And nothing can take you away from me. I have you in my hand. My father has his hands cupped around my hands. And there's not anything in this world that can get through and take you away. Michael has also alluded to that prayer that the Lord uh, prayed about his believers. Everyone uh, that God had given him, he says, uh, they are in my hands. So we have this, this letter then, these letters to the seven churches, and, uh, and as he begins each one of those letters, you'll see a different way he describes himself. And uh, in the, the, the letter to uh, the church in, in uh, Thyatira, he says, These things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like Fine brass, fine brass, molten brass, hot brass, fine brass. And brass in the scripture always represents judgment, always. I have eyes of flaming fire, eyes that can penetrate into the very soul and heart of every individual. And then there are some things he says, I see about you. And, uh, and so he, he begins to, uh, uh, to tell them, first of all, uh, he says, I know your works. I know your charity. I know your service. I know your patience. 
all of these things, he says, I see all of that. And, uh, and, and the last to be more than the first, the patience, being more than even uh, your charity and your service and, and, your, and your works. But he says, notwithstanding, I have these things against you. It is an awful thing to have anybody to stand in front of you and say, I've got this against you. Kind of scary, isn't it? Even if someone just walks up and faces off to you and says, I've got something against you. Well, what about when the Son of God says, I've got something against you? That's something we should take seriously. And it is very serious what he has against them. He says, I have these things against you because you sufferest that woman Jezebel. That word, that, that word, Jezebel, when you even say that word or think about that word, you think about one person in the Bible, there's only one in there other than this one referred to in Revelation, and that is that, that, that queen, that wife of King Ahab, who was actually the daughter, daughter of the, the king of Sidon. And, and whenever she came to the northern kingdom, she brought with her all of the, uh, the, the idol worship that she had back there inside him. And, and she was responsible for leading the northern kingdom of Israel into the, into the most horrible time spiritually that they had ever known because she led them away from the true God and led them into Baal worship. She was a very strong woman. She, uh, she, uh, she was, uh, had all of these prophets of Baal that, that uh, answered to her and and uh, it wasn't anyone who would stand up to her except one man, and that was Elijah, and he regretted it because she said, I'm coming for you. I'm going to take your life. And even this man had, who had stood up against all of, uh, stood up against King Ahab, had stood up against all of those, uh, uh, those prophets of Baal and, uh, and, and had denounced uh, uh, their God and, uh, and had called down fire from heaven from God to consume that altar. And yet, whenever this woman, Jezebel, threatened his life, he ran. And he hid. And it was pretty much the end of his ministry because he prayed to God to take his life. That's Jezebel. Uh, have you ever known anyone who named their daughter Jezebel? <laughs> no. Because that word has a meaning, it has a connotation. And when the Lord Jesus says to this church in Thyatira, when he says, you have that woman. You suffer this woman Jezebel. And uh, there's one translation that says that refers to it as that Jezebel of a woman. And so that right there describes her pretty good. But he goes on to say, which calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, 
them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds, and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. You see, the message of God is always a, 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 a clear message. It's always a message that you don't have to wonder where he stands. The word of God is truth, and, uh, and there's no mixture of error in it. And whenever God says uh, what is going to happen, it's going to happen. It'll be just that way, the way he says it. And so what he's doing here is giving fair warning. But always, just like uh, in, in the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, there is always the grace of God that plays a part of it. And when God issues a warning, he always gives time for repentance. And that's what we see right here. He's warning this church at Thyatira. That little place, the little town that was just built for an outpost. The only reason it's there was to be a protection against the capital of Pergamos, where if, a, if a, an army came against a, the capital city, they would have to come through this valley, and, and there they would, uh, uh, they would meet head-on this little outpost, military outpost. It was built and designed just to be destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt. So it had not much significance until the Roman Empire uh, and the trade that, that came to the Roman Empire, and there were two rivers that came together right there, and because rivers were the trade routes of that day, uh, this little place became a, a center for, for wool and for those purple dyes that were used to dye those royal regal robes that the, that the royalty loved, the red and the purple. That, uh, that purple dye came from a little... Uh, shellfish right in the throat of a little uh, a little shellfish uh, it was called a, the a murex never heard of it until I looked it up but the murex and it was a little shellfish and in the throat of that little shellfish was one little tiny drop of purple and you extracted that little drop of purple and and that purple dye you recall a lady by the name of Lydia in the Bible, the first woman, the first convert to Christianity in in Europe, uh, Philippi, when Paul came there and he met those women down there, and and he and he preached the gospel to them, and and so Lydia listened to what he said, and later on brought them to her home, and and her whole uh, household was baptized, and and uh, and it says in the scripture there that she was a uh, merchant of purple. She came from Thyatira. It was her hometown. And, uh, and that little drop that came out of that shellfish, uh, if you had a pound of it, if you were able to accumulate a pound of it, uh, they, it, it is said that, and by ancient historians, that a pound of that purple out of that little shellfish would go for a thousand denarii. That's a thousand times a day's work for a laborer. One denarius for a day's work. So a thousand for one pound of that die. So that's the significance that came to this little place. 
And because of that, and everything there in that little city was, was uh, everyone who worked there belonged to a guild. And those guilds, each one of those guilds had a patron god. And, uh, and those people who worked in those guilds, of course, uh, paid hom homage to those, the patron god. And oftentimes they would have feasts and, and uh, orgies and all kinds of things that went along with the worship of those patron gods. And so that's the kind of the setting for what the Lord Jesus is saying to this church that is there. You're living in a hellhole, basically. Uh, I kind of look at the place we live in as a hellhole, too. I kind of see as I look around that how, the, how the whole world has gone to pot as far as spiritually. And so this letter... It speaks to me, and it, and I think it ought to speak to every born again believer because he says there's there's a, there are those who are following this Jezebel in your church. She wasn't just a person in Thyatira; she was in the church. And he he says she claims to be an oracle of God. In other words, someone who speaks for God. And, and it goes even farther than a prophetess. To be an oracle means that what I say is the truth. And if what I say doesn't agree with what the Bible says, you believe what I say because I'm telling you the truth. And there have been some folks in this church who have followed her teachings. And, uh, and so they, the, the situation there is... is uh, is bad and it's getting worse because this Jezebel is leading God's people away into false doctrine. And so he has some very strong words to say. He said, I'll kill her children. In other words, those who follow after her. Uh, when God says, I'm going to kill you, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Those who follow after this Jezebel, the thing they have to look forward to is God destroying them? And he says, and I and and uh, uh, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put upon you none other burden. There are those who have not strayed into this false doctrine. And so the Lord Jesus is fair always. He's righteous. And, and he says there are some of you not, who have not faltered in your faith. And because of that, I'm not going to place any more burden upon you. And, and uh, there are always, no matter what you look through the scripture and you look back through history, and you see that there's always a remnant that God has set aside that's going to carry on the truth of the gospel, the truth of the word. Uh, you recall back there when we were talking about Ahab, there was a, he, he, he's complaining to God and said, I'm, I'm the only one left, Lord. God says, no, you're not. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. God always has that remnant, and he always knows who they are. And he says, I know those of you who are still uh, 
strong in your faith and have not faltered and are not following this Jezebel. And I want you to know I'm not going to put any more burden on you. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. There are those today who want to tell you that you don't need to read the Word of God for yourself. You just listen to what I say. I'll tell you the truth. You don't need to go to the Word of God. Did you know it wasn't until the 14th century that the common ordinary person couldn't read the Word of God for themselves? It was John Wycliffe who translated the Scripture into English so that the common ordinary person could read the Word. Before that, it was only the priests who could read the Word in Latin and then they would tell the people what to believe. And because of that, you had all kinds of heresy. And, and uh, it all started when Constantine became the emperor of Rome and he made Christianity, he became a Christian and he made Christianity the state religion or the national religion, whatever you want to call it. And there were all of those temples and all of those false gods that, and priests of those false gods that were on the payroll of the government. And so he just transferred all of those temples over to churches and transferred all of those priest of the foreign uh, the, the idol worship over to be priest in these new churches and so you had the world being brought into the church manifold and that period of time and there are some who believe that each one of these letters represents a period of time that the church is going through I believe that I can see that but I can also see that there are churches all around the world that, that fit into each one of these letters as you look at them, you'll see that there, there, are, there are some churches who fit that Ephesus letter and some that fit that Sardis letter and some that fit that Pergamos letter and there are some who fit this Thyatira letter. Churches in the world today. I am pleased, so pleased with my son who pastors this church and says we're going to go back and dig in the Word of God. And there are some of these things that you've been taught, you've been heard all, you've heard all your life that are not from the Scripture. They're tradition, things that have been brought into the church by someone sometime, and they they the Scripture has nothing to do with those things. And so we're going to look at the Word of God, and we're going to teach the Word of God in this church. And there are some who are not going to like the truth of the Word of God. And because they don't like the truth of the Word of God, they're going to leave. And that's good. That's good for the church. So if you believe the Word of God to be the truth, Michael is going to preach it that way. And if, and if, uh, if you continue to believe and serve God according to the Word of God, God has a great reward for you. Did you know He tells you in the very first few verses of the Revelation that you're going to get a blessing just from reading the book of Revelation? I've read it many times. In fact, there are times whenever I've gone in on Sunday afternoon in the church, instead of preaching a sermon, I say turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And I read the whole thing through. And it's always been a blessing to me and those who have heard. And that, that right there tells you that 
that it's important that we look at this unveiling of the truth that God has in store. And it's important that, that we look at this letter and, and believe that it applies to us today. And as we look on down, it says, But that which you have already hold fast till I, fast till I come, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he'll, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A blessing, a double, a twofold blessing that he has for those who will stay true to the truth, to the word. And uh, the greatest blessing of all is right there at the last. He says, to them I'll give the morning star. And when you look over in the 22nd chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ refers to himself as the morning star. I am the morning star. So, what you have in store for you, if you believe God's word and you stay true to the the to the word of God, is that you have not only a blessed life throughout your years on this earth. I'm not saying there won't be hard times. I'm not saying there won't be tribulation even now, because the Lord says if you follow me, you'll have tribulation. That's part of the word. But you have you have blessings in this life. But the greatest blessing that you have to look forward to is that eternity with the Lord Jesus. I, over a period of time as I pastored churches, I've, I've preached through the book of Revelation several times. Always when I went and pastored a church, it would seem like as, as time rolled on and time rolled on, the Lord would lay it on my heart. You need to preach through this book. And so I would. And I would preach through the book of Revelation and almost every time without fail, in fact, I think every time without fail, when I got through preaching through the Revelation, the Lord would move me. <laughs> and He would take me to a different church somewhere else. And I don't know why, but, but it just seemed like that was true. And the last time that I preached through the Revelation, I, I, God just kind of laid on my mind, you know, these pastors of these seven churches that, that these letters are addressed to, they, they get this letter from the Son of God Himself. And it must be very disturbing for them because as I said, if you look back there in the first chapter, he that vision of the Lord Jesus shows him with in his right hand are seven stars. And uh, and the scripture goes ahead and, and describes who those seven stars are. Uh, they're, walk, they're, they're walking among the lampstands, seven lampstands that are the seven churches, and those seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. If you look through back through the scripture, you'll find that word angel means messenger. Always in the scripture, it's, it's, it's not one we sometimes have a, in our head a picture of an angel as one with glowing uh, brightness and a halo around their head and great wings and all of that. Well, that's not what the scripture says an angel is. You look back through the Old Testament, you see angels coming and speaking to, uh, to people like uh, uh, Abraham and, and, uh, and, and uh, Lot and, 
and Jacob, and and they are never they're never that kind of a of a presentation. It's always someone who is a messenger from God, and that's true in the in of the prophets in the Old Testament. It calls them angels, messengers. It's true in uh, in the New Testament where. Uh, John the Baptist uh, sent his uh, his followers to Jesus. Was questioning him, and and uh, and when they left, uh, the the scripture refers to them as the angels from John, the messengers from John. And so uh, these these seven angels, the seven stars, are the angels of the churches. That means they are the messengers. Of those churches they are the ones who are standing before the church like I stand here today as a messenger from God and those seven angels are the pastors of those churches and so when he writes these letters he's writing to him very very beginning he, he says to the angel of Ephesus to the angel of Smyrna write these things to the angel of Pergamos, to the angel of Thyatira, to the pastor of Thyatira, write these things. And as I looked back at that, I, I thought, what would that pastor, you know, as they received these letters, they were, in, they were instructed to read it to their church and then to pass it on to the other churches. What would that pastor say? After reading this letter, from the Lord Jesus to the church in Thyatira, what would that pastor say as he got ready to pass that letter on and he attached a little note to it? I don't know. But here's what I wrote about this one. If I were the pastor of Thyatira and I was passing this letter on to the next church, from the pastor of the church of Thyatira, writing it to the next pastor. Dear pastor, I've just been sitting here at my table trying to decide what I would say to all the other churches throughout the world in relation to the letter we have just received through John the Apostle from the Lord Jesus Christ. When I read the letter, I began to have a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I remember having that feeling when I was a child was caught in the act of doing something that I knew was wrong. That's been the situation in our church for quite some time. I knew that the things that were going on were terribly wrong, but our church was doing so well at the same time. I kept telling myself, if what we're doing was so bad that God wouldn't be blessing us as he was, Upon receiving this letter, I realized that God will bless the faithfulness of His saints even while He is displeased with them. Please allow me to caution you that you not let the same thing happen with your church as has happened with ours. What I speak of is that our church has been so successful in exemplifying the love of Christ among us, that our membership grew rapidly, so and it grew to include practically everyone in our city. There was such excitement about among our members when it was when it was supposed that we had a true prophetess speaking directly from God. Before long, I realized that 
that's not the truth and were I to try to stand against her many of the members would believe her above me and so although I knew in my heart that many of her doctrines were not from God I decided to hold my peace for the good of all I saw all kinds of compromise around me and I gave in to it as well it's apparent that compromise with the world is considered a deadly sin in the eyes of the Father. There's one very consoling point within our letter, however, and that is that God judges each of us according to the true feelings of our own heart, and He is always anxious for one of His saints to repent and turn back to Him, regardless of how far aside he or she might have turned. Please find and close a copy of our letter from the Lord Jesus. May God richly bless you as you consider his words to you as well. Pastor of the Church of Thyatira.